0: Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, if you were with us last week as we met back at at Calvary Chapel Surfside, you'll know that we spent our time looking at verses 18 through the end of chapter 4, verse 1. And we looked at the relationship of wives to husbands and husbands to wives and children to their parents and parents to children and bond servants to the masters and masters to the bond servants. And we looked at it from the angle of the fact that God has designed roles for all of us. Some of us have been given by God's design following type roles, others have been given leadership type roles and that we need to be willing to be, embrace the role that God has for us for his glory, for his purposes. We looked at how the whole attitude of Satan was, I'm not satisfied with the role God has for me, and he wanted more, and we have to be careful of not falling into that same trap. But as we left off in this section, there's something here tonight that I want to take some time to really dive into. And to be honest with you, we're not going to be looking at Colossians much anymore tonight. We're going to be just using something here in this section that we I read to you, and we're going to do a study tonight on the fact that A lot of Christians don't understand this, but there's still judgment for us Christians. A lot of Christians just say, well, I'm already forgiven of my sins, and I'm already going to heaven, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and therefore, I don't have to worry about judgment. Well, I want to show you tonight from Scripture, from a lot of Scripture, that there is still judgment coming for Christians. Now, it's not a judgment of whether or not you've sinned in the sense of whether or not you go to heaven, but there will be judgment. And I really want us to see, look closely at what what, what Paul says here in verse 22. He says, bondservants, or slaves, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, And there is no partiality. And then he says, Masters, make sure you remember you have a master too. And so what I want you to see here is that through Paul, the Lord is explaining to servants, you need to take the role that you've been given and you need to do it as unto the Lord because the Lord is going to repay you one day for your faithfulness in the role that he's given you. But as I'm about to show you tonight, not only will the Lord repay those of us who have been faithful to live out the role he has for us, But there will also be many of us Christians who will suffer loss when it comes to that time of judgment by Jesus. Because we didn't really take serious the fact that God's left us here for a reason. I mean, if God's whole purpose were just to save us, the moment you trusted Christ, you'd disappear. But you've been left here for a reason. And as you're about to see, many, many, many passages deal with the fact that when Jesus comes... It's also going to be a day of reckoning. Oh, yes, one day when he judges the world, there'll be a day of reckoning for them. We have no trouble accepting that. But very few Christians understand that there'll be a day of reckoning for us as well. So what I want to do is just to take a little bit of time to just kind of lay out for you a foundation. Please hear me clearly. Our sins were judged at Calvary. You will not be judged for your sins. That has already been taken care of. We, many of us know 2 Corinthians 5.21 that uh, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might what? Become the righteousness of God. We also hopefully know uh, Romans chapter 5 where it says we're at peace with God to whom we've seen rec- received reconciliation because of this righteousness that he's given us. But go to 1 Peter chapter 2 as well. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and what? And live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. All right, now again, a lot of people love to just take a real quick aside here, talk about it, by His wounds you have been healed, and they try to turn that into a guarantee that you'll always be healed physically. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. And here you can even see in the context is your healing tied to physical or is your healing tied to your sins? It's tied to your sins. If you look the scripture, interpret the scripture, you'll find a lot of things that people love to quote don't match up with scripture. All right. But at the same time, he bore our sins in his body. You will not have to pay for your sins. That, thank the Lord, has been taken care of. But we have been left here to live for what? As you see it right here, that we might die to sin and what? Live to righteousness. And so go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 4. This is in that section of wonderfully deep theology that Roman, Paul is teaching here in the book of Romans. After he's already talked about how we're at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we were sinners, he died for us and all that. But in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, look at what he says now. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, what's that next word? Might walk in newness of life. I'm going to just lay this out for you and you're going to see it from Scripture. The Bible teaches that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to be rewarded in heaven. It is possible to be a Christian and go to heaven, but to miss out on reward in heaven. Didn't Jesus say that we're to store up treasure in heaven? That means that's something you actively do after your salvation. There are Christians who are not storing up treasure in heaven because they say, I'm just glad to be there. Jesus said that's the wrong attitude. We need to be living now after this salvation that we've been given with a mindset that's mindful of the fact that God is coming, and when He comes and gathers His church, there's going to be a time of reckoning where, well, as you're about to see, the Bible describes we all will face the judgment seat of Christ. So, first and foremost, your sins were already judged by Jesus at Calvary. You're not going to be judged for your sins. We hopefully understand there's a daily judgment for us as Christians. Do you not know that there's a daily judgment? Doesn't the Bible say in Psalm 139, Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Isn't that what David prayed? Folks, hopefully, has anybody here ever been convicted of the Holy Spirit or convicted by the Holy Spirit? I mean, if you didn't raise your hand, you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. We're daily under a judgment. Don't you realize that when Jesus says, hey, you ought not to think that or you ought not to have done that or you better not do that, he's making a judgment? Maybe that word judgment hurts some of us. Let's use the word assessment. Does that help? You all are going to face the assessment seat of Christ. You're going to be assessed as to how you've done since salvation. And he will determine reward for eternity or loss for eternity. So I can see on your faces. We would do us pretty good to do this study, wouldn't it? I mean, he told the servants, don't you realize your, your father's keeping track? And at the end, he's going to reward, and at the same time, he'll judge. Go to uh, um, Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, look at verses 13 and 14. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That doesn't only apply to the unbeliever, that applies to us as believers. Go to 1 John and you'll hear it explained clearly to us as believers. 1 John chapter 1, look at verses 8, 9, and 10. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. Very clearly, John's writing to the church there. He's here and he's writing to believers and he says, "This is, uh, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, can't you see by the context, John's assuming that the word of God is in the hearers that he was writing to, Right. So he's talking to believers and he's saying, if you say you don't sin after salvation, you're deceived. But if we agree with God when he points out our sin, we've already dealt this, whole, done with this whole study. If you remember back when I taught you on what a confession really is, it's not us telling God what we've done, but us saying, yes, Lord, you're right when he points to us what we've done. Again, he's not going to judge us because of those sins where we'll lose our reward in the sense of where we'll lose our eternity. That's already guaranteed. You have Christ in you, and if Christ is in you, you're sealed, you will be going to heaven. But at the same time, it does affect future reward in the day of assessment. But if he, well, if we are willing to agree with him when he convicts us of this daily sin, which we all still struggle with, if we agree with him and confess that he's right, He's what? Faithful and he's just and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All right. So our sins were first judged at Calvary already. So don't worry about that. But we still have a daily judgment by the Holy Spirit as he convicts us and he guides us. But what we're going to spend most of our time tonight and the time we have left dealing with is this judgment that is to come. This assessment that is to come. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6, Paul says, For we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to what? to please him for we must who all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil i don't want you to miss this paul says look we're all christians going to face the judgment seat of Christ where we will actually receive in the body what is due us whether good or evil Now, we have to be honest and say that if God is just, there has to be a reckoning. Correct? I mean, otherwise, people do whatever they want and everybody gets an equal. Is that just? That's why all through the scriptures, the Bible says to those who are suffering, just hang on. God's watching. One day, all will be made right. Folks, if there is no assessment to come, even for Christians, God is not just. So we need to live with an understanding that one day we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ and we'll get what we're due, whether good or evil. Now, that word evil might be hard for us, but it could be translated worthless. You're going to be judged and I'm going to be judged for everything we've done after salvation that God had for us to do, whether or not it was done by him and for, our, for His glory, and we will be rewarded, or whether or not it was done by us, or as you're about to see tonight with the wrong motives, and it will be worthless. That word evil could be also translated worthless. We're gonna be judged by whether or not, according to whether or not what we did was worthy to be rewarded, or worthless. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter three. You'll see a little bit more clearly about this day of judgment. Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians three. Look at verses six through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 Paul says I planted Apollos watered but God gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field God building let me stop real quick did you see what he said each one's going to receive their wages What is the wages of sin? We earned that. When you finished your work week and it was time for your paycheck, did they give it to you as a gift or had you earned that paycheck? That was your wages. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Did we earn eternal life? No, that's a gift. But look closely here. Here it says... That each one is going to be rewarded or they're going to get their wages according to their labor. And then in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And let's one, each one be careful how he builds upon it. We're going to end with that tonight. Keep that in mind. Let's each of us be careful how we build on, whatever the, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. Do you see that capital D? The day. This is the judgment seat of Christ. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, underline this. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. You see, clearly, we've already seen now in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3 that Paul says to Christians, there's a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day when every one of us will be standing before Jesus himself. He won't be judging whether or not we get into heaven. That's already been given to us as a gift. But we're all going to receive what we've earned. For what we've done in the body, whether good or worthless, we've all been given different roles. You've heard me teach on this, and I'm going to touch on it a little bit more tonight. God's not expecting the same out of all of us. Don't worry about comparing yourself with somebody else, because as we saw in the parable of talents, to one he gave five, and another two, and another one. The one who had the five, had, by God's grace, turned it into ten. And on a day of reckoning, God said, you've done well. The one who had the two turned it into four by God's grace, and on the day of reckoning, what did the Lord say? You've done well. So we're not all expected to do the same amount, but there is going to be a day when Jesus will meet us face to face, and that day will be a day of assessment. Now, go to Revelation chapter 22. We all looking forward to the return of Christ and the rapture of the church, right? Look at verse 12. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Jesus is speaking here. If you have one of those red letter Bibles, you'll see this is in red. It says, Behold, I am coming soon, and that word means quickly, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. By the way, who was the book of Revelation written to? The churches. So Jesus is saying to the churches, behold, when I come, it's going to be quick. And when I come, my recompense is with me and I will repay each one according to what they've done. If what you've done is rewardable, you'll be rewarded. If what you've done is not rewardable, you'll suffer loss. People say, well, Jim, I, I got a problem with this because the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. The Bible doesn't say there's no tears in heaven. The Bible says that he will wipe away every tear at a certain point. If you do the study of God's chronology, there comes a point where he will wipe away every tear. I believe that the Bible teaches that at this judgment seat of Christ, there will be tears. I believe at that moment there will be those. And when the assessment realize That they hadn't lived for Christ, but they had lived for self. Yes, you're still going to be going to heaven as one of those who escapes through the fire. But folks, there will be a point where God erases the tears. I think that there will be a sense of a realization of what we missed out on. You'll see it as we look at this in the scriptures tonight. Go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, look at verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5. Verses seven and following. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives their early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be what? Judged. Christians are going to be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers... Do not swear, either by heaven or earth, or by any other oath, that your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." But actually a better, and the ESV has the word condemnation here, I looked this word up, a better word is judgment. You know, some of your translations probably have the word judgment, that you don't fall under judgment. Condemnation. Yep, but again, a better translation of that actual word is judgment. Because we do know that God's not going to condemn us, yet there will be a judgment. There's a difference. So I want you to understand, folks, that here, again, James says, and oh, by the way, in the full context, he's been talking to how the church treats each other here and the differences between the rich and the poor and how they weren't even loving each other. I've got to be honest with you. I, in all my years of being a pastor, I wish I had dove into this at the level that I did for tonight's study earlier because as a pastor, I would have spent a lot more time talking to the church about the judgment seat of Christ. I wish I had been faithful to really look at what it talks about, because i got to be honest with you. I think that many Christians today wouldn't treat each other the way they do if they really understood what we're going to see tonight about the Day of Judgment, when Jesus will hold us accountable for every idle word. And as you're about to see, he'll also hold us accountable for every thought and attitude of our hearts. Don't we? How many of you have ever been on the highway And somebody blows by you at like 100 miles an hour, and you think to yourself, I hope there's a cop up there ahead. Haven't you ever thought that? Some of you just get right in line behind them and say, let them run reconnaissance for me. But then once you get up there and they're pulled over, don't you kind of drive by and think to yourself, yeah. We all have that. We hope they get theirs. Do you understand that it's going to happen to us, too? you will be assessed he writes to the church don't grumble against one another so you won't be judged when jesus comes he brings his reward and to determine reward requires judgment there are also many passages that clearly show that god knows all and misses nothing go to first peter chapter 1 first peter chapter 1 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 17, again, written to the church, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I'm holy. I love how the ESV is translated this here. Because many of them say, be holy because I'm holy. And we've tried. (laughs) Thank God I am becoming more and more holy. Even though he's declared me holy, I'm becoming more and more holy. You shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. How many of us have thought over the years that some people were getting away with something? Haven't we? And let's be honest, if you've been raised in a family where you were one of many kids, mom and dad didn't see it all. My brother over there is smiling and laughing because the younger ones get away with murder. But your heavenly father doesn't miss anything. Your heavenly father doesn't miss anything. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 through 12. The Hebrew writer says, for the land, chapter 6, verse 7, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whom sake is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust. So as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Again, God knows. He doesn't miss anything. He's paying attention. Yes, people in your church may not realize all that you're doing. Maybe you haven't been recognized with a banquet like you wished you were. But understand, God says, I don't miss a thing. And those who are considered last in this world will be what? First. Those who are seeking to be first will be last. Folks, it's, it's amazing to me how quickly we think That those who are the, quote, Billy Grahams of the world are going to get so much at their day of judgment and reward. But those of us who aren't as public and and, and noticeable are going to get less. Oh, that's not what the Bible teaches. He's rewarding the attitude of our heart. Go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation, From God. When Jesus comes, he's not going to also just reward us for what we've done in the body. He's also going to reward or assess us or judge us according to what our thoughts and the attitudes of our heart were. Now, I'm going to just take something from here and go with it for a little bit here. Look at what Paul's saying here. Please let me hope that you hear everything that I'm saying along this line. Because there are too many people that take the passage in the book of Matthew where it says, don't be judged lest you be judged. And they say the Bible says we're not to judge. And that's not true. The Bible actually does say that there are times that it's right to make a judgment or to make an assessment. Listen closely to those, to those times. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, you, when you see your brother in a sin, listen, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. There are those who are to, as it says in the book of Hebrews, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak the Bible also says that those who have been given the role of authority in the church and leadership in the church, and they make assessments and they make judgments, but those are the elders, the pastors. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and following, Paul says, therefore, I say to you by the grace given to me that you don't think of yourself any more highly than you ought. In other words, I'm about to make a bold statement to you and I'm going to charge you not to consider yourself more bold or, or more proudly than you ought to or more highly than you ought to. But listen to how he says it. By the grace given to me. In other words, the only reason I'm making this statement to you as direct as I am is because that's the role God gave me. He didn't give that role to everyone. And so folks... There are times that the Bible says that judgments can be made by by believers, but the Bible also teaches just as much that most of the time we Christians should leave the judging of everyone around us alone. Let the Lord take care of that stuff or those whom God has given that responsibility Take care of that stuff. You want to see your church become what God wants it to be. You want to see God to pour out his blessing. You want to see that place become a place where people just love and and love each other. You want to see where God does a work. It needs to be a group of people that stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. And they live the life that God has for them. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. Right now, I don't think I got anything going on, but that doesn't mean I'm not guilty of something. The Lord will show me that, though. And the same Lord that would show Paul if there's something that needs work is the same Lord that lives inside of each of everyone else, and he'll show them too. We spend too much time judging music or judging clothing or judging attitudes. How can we even know what someone's attitude really is? I could stand here and preach to you and have some of the most selfish motives, but you'd never know. Why are we worried about judging someone's attitude or what their real motives were? Well, I know what she said, but she really what she was really meaning was... Listen closely to the two things that are happening when these attitudes start to come out of our mouths. One, we want to be God. Isn't that what Satan said to Adam and Eve? The day you eat of this tree, you get to be God. You get to determine good and evil, right and wrong. You get to assess. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me tell you how freeing it has been for me as God's been allowing this truth to sink into my heart. I'm assessing people less and less. There are times that God's given me in my role to take that role, but in many places, part of the gifting that God's given me as I travel around this country and deal with different churches is he's allowed me to see things that are actually going on in the church below the surface that many people may not realize. Like, for example, I was at this one church down in Key West about three or four years ago. And I was only there on a Sunday morning, and I was going to preach that Sunday night, but they took me to lunch. And this guy goes, as he's taking me to lunch, he goes, let me tell you about our church. I said, let me tell you about your church. Ooh. He goes, you've only been here for a couple hours. I said, this person here thinks they're in charge. This person's trying to do this, boom, boom, boom. And his jaw hit the floor. He's like, how did you see all that? I said, the Lord shows me this stuff as I walk into places. Listen, though, I had to learn, though, that just because God showed it to me didn't mean I was supposed to say something. I just assumed if God showed it to me, I'm supposed to tell everybody what I saw. And boy, did I get myself in a bunch of trouble. God said, look, sometimes I'll show you and tell you to speak it. Sometimes I'll show you just so you know what you're dealing with and you're to keep your mouth shut. Sometimes I'll show you just so that you'll pray. You godly parents, weren't there times you saw stuff in your kids, but it wouldn't be the time to deal with it? You'll save that battle for another day. What kind of a parent would you be if every time you saw something, you tried to fix it? Your kid would be really glad to see you, wouldn't he? What's wrong with me now? By the way, let me ask you a question. Does the Holy, uh, your Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit that lives within you, does he fix everything in your life every day? You know, one of the big things that jumped out to me was in the book of John. It says that it described Judas in this way that when Jesus told him, go do what you're going to do. Everybody else thought it had something to do with the money. And then the scriptures in the Gospel of John make this interesting statement, and we don't even see it until this one place. It says that up to that point, Judas had been stealing money from the treasury and putting it in his own pocket. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus know that Judas was stealing from the treasury? Do we see anywhere that Jesus dealt with it? Oh, when's he going to deal with it? On the day of judgment for Judas, and by the way, he's not going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to be at the great white throne judgment. People say, wait a minute, Jim, uh, Judas repented. No, the scripture is very clear that he went where he belonged. Jesus himself said Judas was never one. He was a son of perdition from the beginning. Judas might have felt sorry for what he did. Judas was never saved. He will experience the white throne judgment. And if you go to Revelation 20, verses 11 and following, you'll see that all the wicked dead who are going to come up at the same time and go before that throne, where they'll stand before the Father, they're going to see that he will, the books will be opened. And they'll be judged according to what was recorded in the books. And then another book was opened, which is the Lamb's Book of Life, And everyone whose name, that's everybody at that judgment, which wasn't in the Lamb's Book of Life, was cast into the lake of fire. Did you catch that? Before God throws all the wicked dead into the lake of fire, they're all going to be judged according to everything they did in their whole life. There's going to be an assessment for every one of us. And you will start to believe and live like you have a big God who doesn't miss in everything when you stop trying to assess everybody else and just love them. And just let them be who God wants them to be. Oh, there'll be time that in certain relationships for those of you who have built relationship of love, you can come alongside your brother or your sister and say, hey, there's something God wants me to just share with you. And you, you deal with it how God wants you to. But this is an area that I'd like you to pray about. There are relationships that God's given us to do that. But that doesn't mean that everybody gets to say in everybody else's life, take a deep breath and don't judge anyone. Save that for when the judge comes. When the judge comes. Don't miss that at the Bema seat, there will be loss. Go to Romans 14. Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 10. Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to who? Every one of us. Don't we have a tendency sometimes to judge each other in, in Christian ministry? Well, I don't think that's how you should do church. Well, they're doing it wrong. How about the time that uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said we saw people preaching in your name, but they weren't one of us, so we told them to stop. What did Jesus say? If they're not against us, they're for us. Not everybody does it the way I would do it or you would do it, but God's able to get it done. I shared with the guys that met in motion today that uh, uh, just this few weeks ago, somebody here who's from in the Atlantic, gave me a, a tape recording of when I resigned here at First Baptist in the Atlantic over 10 years ago, or just about 10 years ago, when I resigned. That, that message that I preached the night that I resigned. Well, I can be honest with you, I never had listened to it since that day. So I popped it in my tape player in my car, because it was a tape. That's told you how long ago it was. And I, today, as I was driving around, I listened to that resignation sermon. And in that sermon, I talked about the first time I ever preached, which was 30 years ago over 30 years ago. And God brought me back to that day that I preached my first sermon. At the time I was the youth pastor at First Baptist Palm Bay. Actually not youth pastor, I was in the, just out of the youth group. I wasn't in the youth group, I wasn't a youth pastor, I was just kind of hanging out with the youth. And they had one of those youth-led services where they let the young people do everything. The young people took the offering, they did the special music, and they asked me to preach. I'd never preached before. God had called me to preach when I was 13, but I was running from his call at the time. And they asked me to bring a sermon that day, and I didn't know what it took to prepare a sermon. So I wrote on pieces of paper some notes and wrote real big in case I got lost I could find where I was. And not knowing what it took to prepare a message, three minutes into the sermon, I'm done reading my notes. (laughs) And I started to panic. And I thought back about that sermon. My sermon was on enthusiastic Christians. My whole premise as a young 19-year-old was, if you're going to pick teams, and you have people lined up there to you to choose from to pick for your team, you're going to pick the ones that are ready to play and ready to go. And I'm not even sure I used the Bible that Sunday. i got to be honest with you, as you look back and I look back, that was a horrible sermon. But you know what? Thank God for those people that sat there and smiled. Thank God for the people who said, he'll get there. He'll get there. Because I've now been preaching for 30 years, and I'm I'm getting closer. We've got to be willing to understand that it's God who's going to get us to where we're going to be. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to his own master he stands or falls? We all don't do it right the right way all the time. And there are times that the Pauls are to oppose the Peters to their face when they're not not eating with the Gentiles when the Jewish people come around. There are times that there is that sin needs to be dealt with. But as a whole, if you look at the scriptures, it says to us as Christians, leave each other alone. That's God's job. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 17. First Peter chapter four, verse 17. It says, "For it's time for what? Judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God?" Remember, like I told you, the judgment's already beginning in a sense. The daily assessment is happening now. The Spirit of God within you wants to produce fruit for reward down the road. So the Lord within you is not just going to sit back and say, boy, he's going to find out of the judgment. He ain't doing so good. No, the Lord within you is actually going to be working with you on a daily basis to help you get a passing grade, if you will, or to get rewarded. In other words, thank God for the Holy Spirit that lives within us, who's like one of those teachers that during the test would walk up and down the aisle and say, you might want to rethink number three. <laughs> Did you ever have one of those teachers? I used to say, I love you. <laughs> the heavenly, your heavenly father wants to reward you it's to his glory that you produce fruit and so right now the judgment is begun it's time for the judgment to begin with the household of faith and right now the heavenly father who lives within us is actually helping us live right versus living wrong so that on that day of judgment we will be rewarded with much go to Luke chapter 19 You want to see clearly that at that time of reckoning there will be those who suffer loss. Look at Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. Luke 19, verse 11, As they heard these things He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because He was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. The assessment, the reckoning, the judgment. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in, a, in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. By the way, I think the Bible is pointing to the fact that our reward will be tied to some of our responsibilities in the millennial kingdom on the earth. Some of you said, I've always wanted to live in a big house. <laughs> Store up your treasure now. Store up your treasure now. The second one came, saying, Lord, your Mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your Mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I'll condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and, my, and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? By the way, he's not saying that's who he is. He says, I'm just going to judge you with the same measure you judged me. is not that what, sound familiar? Do not judge, or you will be judged with the same measure you judge. Folks, those of us who have had a tendency, because of our flesh, to be kind of negative and judgmental of the people around us, is that how you want the Lord to judge you on the day of judgment? Why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten. And I said to him, Lord, he's got ten. And I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Jesus here in this parable is showing us that on this day of reckoning, on this day of assessment, those of us who have been given a responsibility will be judged accordingly and God will reward us for faithful service at the same time. For those who didn't, well, they still get to go into heaven. They still get to enter the millennial kingdom. But they're going to be lacking for a thousand years at least. By the way, when Jesus returns with him, if you were to look at Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8, <coughs> excuse me, Revelation 19, 6 through 8, you can go look at it later on. You'll see that the Bible says that when Jesus comes at the that battle of Armageddon, at the second coming of the Lord, when he comes back to the earth, we're going to come with him. And in that passage, it says that we're all going to be wearing white robes. And the Bible clarifies. Remember, whenever the Bible uses symbolic language, it tells you what it symbolizes. It says the white robes represent the righteous deeds or acts of the saints. Are you given a white robe because you're going to heaven? No, you're given a white robe because the robe represents your righteous deeds. Are we in heaven because of things we do? No, but that is tied to our reward. Oh, listen closely. You might have missed why I brought that out. The Bible teaches very clearly that the church will be raptured and brought to be with the Lord at some point prior to the tribulation period. There'll be this seven-year period on the earth where God deals with the nation of Israel and judges the nations. At the end of that time period, Jesus comes back and we come with him. And at that time, we've already received our reward. So when is the judgment seat of Christ? It has to be between the rapture and the second coming. I believe the Bible teaches it happens immediately gathers his bride, and at the marriage ceremony is when we receive our reward. And then we bring our reward with us as we come back, and he sets up his kingdom on the earth. So, with all this said, and there's more. Let me just show you one other one. We're in Luke 19, go back to Luke 16. This is one of those passages that God brought to my mind as I was driving over here tonight. And by the way, don't try to read your Bible as you're driving to Bible study because the light will turn green and you won't know it and people behind you will honk. I'm just assuming that'll happen. Look at Luke 16 verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that's down here on the earth, who will entrust you to the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Don't miss that. When he says, if you haven't been faithful with that which is another's, what's he talking about? Everything. This is all his. Your money in your bank account is not yours. It's the Lord's. He's let you use it as a steward, and he's going to tell you how he wants you to use it. Don't let anybody else tell you how they think you're supposed to use it. Each steward is to be faithful with what God's told them to do with the money. And back when the whole mess was going on with, with the Y2K and all the stuff that's happening in the world, I've had people over the years come and say, are we to stockpile? And I say, what did the Lord tell you? See, because he may tell one to stockpile, he may tell another one not to. But we've got Christians running around saying, well, if you're a really good Christian, you'll stockpile. Because that way you can witness to people and you can share it. You know what, that may be true, true, but God may not ask everybody to do it that way. Just because God told you to do it that way doesn't mean that's how he's told somebody else. Look, let him lead them how he wants them to go. But here's the deal. If you're not faithful with another's, who will give you that which is what? Did you catch that? One day when we receive these rewards, we'll no longer be stewards. They'll be ours. That's pretty cool. Heard this preacher a while back talk about how he's at a football game with his kids. It was a high school football game, and one of his kids said, "Uh, Dad, can I have some Skittles? Can I go to the snack shop and get some Skittles? The dad pulled some money out of his wallet and gave it to the kid and said, go buy some Skittles. So the kid went and bought Skittles, came back and sat down in front of the dad at the football game. And the dad, a little later in the game, said to the kid, hey, can I have a couple of those Skittles? The kid goes, no, they're mine. The dad said that three things went through his brain all at that moment. The first one was, wait a minute. I gave you the money for those. You bought those with my money. And you're acting like it's yours? He said the second thing was, he thought, I'm bigger than you. If I want those Skittles, I can get them. And the third thing he thought was, kid, you don't realize I got a hundred dollar bill in my wallet right now. If I want to go down and buy all their Skittles and dump them on your head, I can do that, too. And then he said the Lord spoke to him and said, then why do you act like everything I've given you is yours? Everything you have. What do you have that you didn't receive? Paul said. If I ask you for something, don't say, but Lord, I need that or it's mine. Plus, he goes, I'm bigger than you. (laughs) If I want to take it, I can. And plus, I don't need, as God told the nation of Israel, I don't need the bulls from your stalls. If I wanted to, I could just dump it all over you. If you haven't been faithful with that which is somebody else's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Folks, God has given us wealth on this earth that is his, but he's given it for us to show that we trust God, and he's told us to use it to fund the things of the kingdom and the things of God and to be generous with people in need and to support ministries and to give to the church and to just be generous with what we've given, trusting that God will take care of us. And he said, for those who are willing to do that down here, one day I will repay them. Listen, the Bible actually says a hundred times as much. Jesus said that it's right for us to be greedy up there. And what did Paul say in Philippians chapter 1 when he's wrestling with whether or not he's going to go to heaven or whether or not he's going to stay in, the, in life in that prison? He said, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. To die is great. I, that's far better. I go to go with Christ. But if I'm to stay in this body, it means what? More fruitful labor. In other words, if I stay in this body as much as I'd rather be with the Lord, that means I'm going to ching, to ching, to ching every day or every year until he takes me home. I'll just be rewarded more. In other words, do I get the money all out of the bank now, or do I let it accrue a little bit more? Folks, I hope you're getting excited about what is to come, but I hope you're also hearing this. With all this said, now knowing that God has given each of us gifts and roles in this life. Remember our study from Colossians. He's given us each gifts and roles in this life until he returns. Do you not see how knowing what God is looking for from us is so important? I don't want you to do the best you can. I want you to know that you are living the life that God has for you. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to do this fast in the time that we have left because this is very important and I don't want you to miss it. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. We already know how we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works and no one can boast. Look at verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This isn't just a blanket statement. I'm going to show you from Scripture, it's a specific individual statement. Yes, God prepared in advance that all of the people that would be His would walk in good works. But I'm going to show you that scripturally the Bible teaches that there are actually specific good works that God has chosen for you. There are specific good works that God has chosen for me. And for years, even though I was a pastor, when I tried to live up to the church's job description, I was not earning reward in heaven. Because I was being a faithful steward to what the church said I was to do, not what my master said I was to do. No, yes, God called me to pastor churches for a season and he'll reward me for those things that I let him do through me in those times. There were things I did as a pastor that were my, my attitude is my motives were not pure and I won't be rewarded for them. But at the same time, I've come to realize and I want you to come to realize that you will find his rest when you take his yoke and nobody else's. Go to Galatians chapter one. You're in Ephesians. Back up a couple of books. Look at how Paul describes his encounter with the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, look at verses 13 through 16. Paul says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He then goes on and says, I didn't immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. Look at how Paul describes not only his salvation, but his call. He said, God's plan for me was to preach to the Gentiles before I was even born. Ephesians 2.10 says, where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to do. Didn't God tell Joseph when he was a young boy, your family is going to bow down to you? 20 plus years before it actually happened. But that was what God had ordained for Joseph. He came and told Abraham, you're going to be a mighty nation. And through you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. He told him long before it even began 25 years later with Isaac. David was anointed the next king of Israel, but he didn't become king for 15 years as he ran from Saul, served in the... But God told him ahead of time, I've got a role for you. And you and I will not experience the joy and the peace of our walk with the Lord, nor be rewarded in eternity until we get to that point where we understand this is who God made me, this is the role he has for me, and I will embrace it. Go to Galatians chapter two, look at verses seven through nine. Paul says in Galatians two, verse seven, on contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Let me say this to you. Some of you have been wired by God to be evangelists. Some of you have been, you've got a passion for telling people about Jesus Christ. Some of you have it so much you wanna go stand on the street corner and knock on every door. Good for you. Don't assume that everybody else is supposed to be knocking on the doors with you. Too many Christians are beating each other up because, well, they're not sharing their faith enough. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Oh, and listen, not all the saints in the work of the ministry are going to be apostles, pastors, prophets, and teachers. Some of the saints are going to be financial givers, others are going to be administratively using their gifts, others are going to be extending mercy. Others are going to be encouragement. There are going to be those like you, Rita, who you use your gifts of service to walk alongside people and help them on a daily basis, all the way through. Everyone needs to find what it is that God's called you to because because. because that is the only thing you'll be rewarded for. There's a day of reckoning coming. But Lord, I was a church member. I actually think God might say big whoop. I went to Bible study on Tuesday nights. (laughs) Who was teaching? Listen. Find out what it is. Listen closely. Find out what it is that God's given for you to do. And and I'll get right to you. And then get and do and do that. Now, some of you are going to probably going to say, "How do we know what that is?" No. I okay. To say, I've heard before that God may only have one or two things for you to do. Yeah. And that it may not be on just a daily basis. Yep. Now, very good. You're heading right into where I'm going. Some of you sit there and go well, how do I know I'm doing the right thing? Listen, God's going to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of your what? Why don't you just begin by letting him produce the fruit of the spirit with you? See, because if you even just let him produce the evidence of his spirit within you as you live your life, you will be rewarded for that. Yes, sir, go ahead. Mm -hmm. We can't save ourselves, that's not through works, but calling him our Lord and Savior, the Savior part, the gift, letting him be our Lord is a choice. Yes, and that's what he said was, you'll be rewarded for letting him be Lord. Letting him be Lord. Folks, I didn't end up at where I'm at right now, right away. That came out over time. As I shared with some of you, I didn't take a spiritual gift test to find out that I was called to preach. Don't go take a spiritual gift test to find out what it is you're supposed to do. Get involved in the life of your church. Go to Sunday school. Get in some small groups. Get involved in what's going on. If they got a church work day, show up and see if it's you. If it isn't, don't worry about it. If they got a a, a mission trip and you might be interested in taking it, go ahead. I could take the time to share my brother's story. But if you knew his story, he went through a time in his life where he was floundering and wondering. And and NASA hired him when he was in high school at Palm Bay. And he was offered a big amount of money and they paid for his school at FIT. But in the midst of that, right near the end, he realized this isn't it. You know how hard it is to tell NASA, sorry, thank you very much, but I'm not going to do this anymore. And ended up changing and paying for his own school and getting a business degree and then selling shoes at Foot Locker and, and Tom McCann. And, and one night, one night in New Orleans when he and his wife Julie were married, and Jeff wasn't at Wednesday night service because he is working at the mall at the shoe store, he came home and was taken off his, I think it was Foot Locker at the time, uniform. Wednesday night, there was a missionary who was at our church in New Orleans, who was talking about the call to missions, and God reminded Julie of the fact that he had told her when she was younger, I've called you to be a missionary. She went home that night to her husband and said, I don't know how you're gonna react to this, (laughs) but God called me to the mission field a long time ago, and tonight he reminded me that that's what his plan for me is, and Jeff said it was like a light clicked on. And even after those years of wondering, it was then that he knew that's what we're supposed to do. And they spent 10 years in Uzbekistan, and they've been in Thailand, and now they're serving on the mission field here at the seafarers, and they're living the life that God has for them. Don't worry. The one who has a plan for your life also knows how to get you there. So just begin by letting him be Lord today of your attitudes and your actions and your thoughts and watch how you'll end up where you're supposed to be. Oh, Jim, I know what my gift is. I know what my role is, but the church won't let me. Well, are they bigger than God? Relax. If it's of Him, you'll end up there. You'll end up there. Go to Romans chapter 12. I quoted this and we'll wrap up with it. Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. By the way, as much as Paul wanted to be a preacher to the Jews, would he have been rewarded for being a preacher to the Jews? Not at all. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, in other words, I'm living out the role God's given me. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, For as in one body we all have different parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are all one body in Christ, and individually parts one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, The one who contributes in generosity. Let me just say this real quickly. Those of us who do what we do, what Jeff and Julie do, who live on people's donations, couldn't go travel and do what we do if it wasn't for those people that have the part that's highlighted in my Bible. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. God's not asking you to do everything. God's not wanting you to be a part of everything that the church is doing. Even if the church says it, they're not your master. Then the church says you all should have been at church work day, they're not your master. When the church says everybody's supposed to have been at this event or that event, they're not your master. But you find out what it is that God's called you to do and you jump into it with both feet and you will find joy and peace as you become just a whatever it is. I'm just a preacher. You find out whatever the justa is for you and enjoy it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that in this one verse, there in Colossians, as you were speaking to the bond servants, that one day they'll be rewarded for their faithfulness to take the very low role and live out the role that you had called for them to be slaves. What I think right now as I'm talking to you, you bring to my mind that little girl in 2 Kings 5, that even though she had been captured and taken as a prisoner to another land, didn't say when her servant, slave owner, Naaman, got leprosy, she didn't sit in a room and think, good for him, I hope he dies but she was willing to be faithful in the role that you had given her and she pointed him to you. Father, I pray now that we would all understand that you are challenging each of us to be willing to embrace the role you've given us for your glory, to not be like Satan and say, I want more, but to be willing to be faithful with the little we've been given. And then you will add here in this life if you choose, but you definitely say you'll reward in the life to come. Father, May you fill our churches with people who are more concerned about the assessment at the judgment seat of Christ than whether or not the church is meeting budget. May we leave the assessment of the things that are not ours to those that have been given those rules, those that have been put on those ministry teams or committees. And may you help us to find, and I know you will, the thing that you have set us apart before we were born. Thank you that you'll show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.